In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is good to be back here. Actually, my, my wife and I are in the same room at the same time on Sunday morning for the first time in a long time. So it's good to be here. And I always enjoy coming to St. Luke's when I can. I'm with you today for this visitation because Bishop Jennifer's husband had surgery on Friday. And as any of you who've had surgery know, the third day after surgery is usually not a particularly happy day. And so Bishop Jennifer is at home taking care of her husband and uh, I get to be with you. So that's a good thing for me. And thank you, Father Robert, for your hospitality. It's always good to be here with you. And it's good to have a class of confirmands and two receptions, and I'm pleased about that. We're doing one of the weird things that Episcopalians do today. Now, weird things are not uncommon to Episcopalians. We have an extensive reputation for the weird and unusual. And this is one of them. In the ancient church, confirmation was part two of the rite of initiation. And we're accustomed to thinking that there's only one part to initiation, and it's called baptism. But baptism is actually only part one. And we're going to do parts two and three today. Part one is the baptism the cleansing of our sin, the release from the impact of what in the tradition is called original sin. And that's not about infants having sinned, though some parents at two o'clock in the morning may regard it as that. They haven't sinned. Original sin is sort of a broad concept about all of our life is qualified by evil and brokenness and tatteredness and things that gone, have gone wrong. It's just the stuff, okay? And we're released from the power of that. And we're cleansed from the effect of when we do sin. That is to say, we're released from that being the final thing about you or me. We are cleansed. We are made whole. We die with Christ in a death like his, and we're raised to the new life of grace in the risen Christ. Part two is what was traditionally called chrismation. And that was the part when the, the bishop in the early days anointed the newly baptized person with oil called chrism. And it's a special mixture of olive oil and spices and there's a recipe that we use and I don't know what it is because I've never done it. Somebody always did it for me. But chrism is that holy oil and the words are important you are marked as Christ's own and sealed by the Spirit forever. Okay? It's the sealing 
and the marking. And part three of the rite of initiation is Holy Eucharist. And that was the meal designed to sustain us in living our baptismal vows, to live a fruitful life in Christ as the baptized, as part of the body of Christ, the church. Now, unfortunately, as the church grew, and one of the charisms of the office of bishop is not multi-location, the bishop couldn't be at every baptism. And what happened is they reserved chrismation to the bishop, and it began a long and curious life of free-floating around in the Western church and came out looking like what we're doing today. And so we have to understand what we're doing in relation to baptism. We are not remedying a defect in anybody's baptism. You know, all of these confirmands are fully and completely baptized. All of you are fully and completely baptized. Neither baptism nor confirmation makes God love us any more than God already does. God absolutely loves us. But what this does do is allow the church, the local community of the body of Christ, and the church Catholic in the person of the bishop, to gather and do what the name of the sacrament says, confirm the vows that were made or made on behalf of each of these seven individuals. In other words, those who are confirmed are standing before God and the church and the local community and saying, my baptismal vows are now mine. You're taking them on as yours. You're responsible for them. But you're not responsible for them all by yourself. There's all of this community. There's all of this community. Your parents, your grandparents, your friends, all of this community continue to walk with you in a way that I think is best articulated in the Spanish word compañero. A compañero is more than just a companion. A companion just sort of walks along beside you. A compañero is invested in you and your journey. A compañero cares about what happens how your life develops, who you become. And we're going to have receptions that people by the Spirit have been led to say, this church is my home. This part of the body of Christ is my home. And so I'm coming to live here with Christ. I'm coming into this community to be a vital part of the community. And they too continue their journey, and not alone. Los compañeros are yours also. And for you to be, all seven of you, to be a compañero to the community. Because the life of baptism is a life of intimacy that begins in God 
It begins with Christ, and it's lived in the Spirit. It's a journey of intimacy with other people. It only makes sense with other people, with others who in Christ are also raised to the new life of grace, who gather to break bread and share the cup, who go into the world to love and serve God's beloved because that's what God's beloved do in the world is love and serve. And it means that it's a journey that at times will be complicated and difficult and frustrating. It's a journey in which we fall down. And as the old monk used to say, what do you do when you fall down? Well, we get up and walk again. Well, what happens after you fall down again? Well, we get up and we walk again. And the reason we can walk again is, first of all, because we are marked as Christ's own and sealed with the Spirit forever. We are bound to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as compañeros in the most holy, deepest meaning that that term can have. And so we face this journey with all of its excitement and wonder and mystery and befuddlement and frustration and failure and wild successes. We face it and do it with each other in hope and because we know, as we will say in our renewal of baptismal vows, we know we're doing it with God's help. The Spirit within us empowers us and gives us courage. Christ before us gives us the example and shows us the way. The Father who created us has created us for this journey, has created us to be the dynamic, powerful image and likeness of God here on earth. And what we do in the commitment of baptism and renew in the commitment of reception and confirmation is say again together, yes, this is who we are, this is what we do, thanks be to God. It's an amazing sort of thing to do. So we gather and do this little weird thing that Episcopalians do. We're the only church that still requires a bishop to do confirmation and reception. And I'm really glad for that. I'm glad for that because it reminds me of one of the fundamental roles that a bishop has among God's people. It's not only to be a shepherd, it's also to be the presence to you and with you of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that is a powerful and rich and wonderful piece of my journey, to be authorized by God in the church to lay my hands prayerfully upon each of these people to confirm them and to receive them. And to remind all of us that we're something bigger than just this group at St. Luke's. Now, St. Luke's is a good group. It's a healthy part of the body, but it's not the only part of the body. It's a part of the body. 
and St. John's is a part of the body, and First United Methodist is part of the body, and Soldiers AME Zion is part of the body, and First Baptist is part of the body. So God calls us here in this part of the body to be good Episcopalians. And that's sometimes a challenge. And that brings us to the gospel. You didn't think I was going to get there, did you? <laughs> the gospel starts off basically telling us that the institution is a mixed bag. The institution, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They have authority within the community. Bishops, priests, deacons, and lay people have authority differently in the community. And Jesus says, do what they teach you. Do what they teach you. It's our responsibility, particularly Bonnie's and Robert's and mine, to teach you the faith to make sure your heart and soul and mind is nurtured in the life in Christ, that your heart and soul and mind is fed in the sacrament of the Eucharist, that your mind and heart are formed by the word of sacred scripture. But it's our responsibility together to put flesh on those bones in the world. And it may look like Rowan helping ministry. It may look like reading to a child. It may look like gently helping a person recover from sickness. It may look like being kind to the checkout person at the food lion. It may look like just being patient or just being there. And sometimes we get to do really spectacular stuff, but most of the time, we get to make sure that our families are fed, that they're clothed, that we teach our children to be good people, that we treat each other decently, respect the dignity of every human being. We do what we're taught, and we hold each other responsible for doing that. But Jesus tells us, that neither Judaism and its institutions are perfect, nor are we. Nor are we. And we, we sort of expect each other to be perfect. You know, this is the church. We expect each other to treat each other right, do the right thing. And it's really aggravating when we don't, especially when it's somebody else that's not done it right. <laughs> we aren't perfect. Baptism does not make us perfect. Baptism does not cure our capacity or desire to sin. Confirmation and reception do not cure us of sinfulness. What they do is restore and renew our sense of what we do about our sinfulness, recalling our commitment both to one another that our heart, our soul, our center is Christ. That peace in the baptismal covenant. When you sin, will you repent, turn back, and seek God's forgiveness? And the phrase that was left out of that is, 
and one another's forgiveness. So we're a people that are imperfect, but God has given us a way to deal with that. It's called repentance and confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. We are a people who build, and we know when we're off the track because we aren't building, we're tearing down. And there are lots of ways to do that in our world at this particular point in time, and lots of people are vigorously doing it. And we as Christian people stand over against that. We as Christian people are builders. We as Christian people are people of love. We are therefore people who give life and support life and nurture life. We are people who build up and stand over against rampant tearing down, senseless destruction, disrespect, dehumanizing activities, violence. We don't do that. It's not who we are, who we are as the people of God, are the people who love and therefore build. We create and we sustain in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. And that's what's being confirmed today as we all renew our baptismal covenant. We stand as compañeros to one another, and especially with these seven, and renew our commitment to be the people of God whom God has created us to be. And it's great. It's a great adventure. There's nothing better, nothing better. And finally, the gospel tells us that this life of service and loving and caring and building and creating is a life that's characterized by humility. Now let me be very clear. Humility is not another way of spelling doormat. We are not created and called and sent into the world to be wimpy Marvin Milktoast doormats that people can walk over, run over, and do whatever to us. But we are called and sent to be humble. And true humility is characterized by strength, clarity of who we are, comfortableness in our own skin, and a willingness simply to do what needs to be done, whatever that is, to use the gifts God has given us every day in the best possible way that we can. Humility comes from the Latin word hummus, which means earth. So what humility about is being rich, deep soil that grows things, rich, deep soil that is fertile, that has the capacity to sustain, that has the capacity to bring to fruitfulness that which is planted in it. And what we as Christians know about ourselves is that Jesus Christ is our hummus. Jesus Christ is the one in whom we are earthed, in whom we are grounded, 
And that ground is enriched with the power and presence of the Spirit that guides us and gives us the courage and strength daily to move in the way that God is calling us to be. Calling us to fulfill the person that God created us to be. And so not only are we builders and lovers, we're humble people. We are humble people in Jesus Christ. We are humble people who are given the tools and capacities to love and serve. We are humble people who know who we are and whose we are. We are humble people who love the Lord and therefore love one another. We are humble people who know that God in love is our compañero. And because God is our compañero, we are the compañeros of those around us, whether we know it or they know it or not. And so we give thanks this day that God has gathered us in this place to renew our relationship with God and one another, to welcome three people into the Episcopal part of the body of Christ, to confirm four people in the Episcopal part of the body of Christ, to be fed to go forth into the world to love and serve, to be compañeros in the world, because that's who we are. It's what we do. And we give thanks for that this day. Amen. Amen.